Well, if you have your Bibles with you, I'd invite you to turn to the Gospel of uh, Matthew this morning. Uh, while you're doing that, um, chapter 13, while you're doing that, also pull out your core guide so you can write down some things that you'd like to remember from today's message to talk about with, um, with your groups. It's good to be with you today. As we launch this, this new series, um, I wanted to start right off the bat with, with a confession, if that's okay. Um, I may have a little problem with an addiction. No, it, it's not coffee. <laughs> that's a given. I know that, and I, I haven't found a 12-step program for that one yet. Um, I, I'm a photography buff. I, I love taking pictures. You like that? Do you like taking pictures? Um, most pictures of me these days, uh, if, I'm, if I actually make it into the picture, I'm usually holding a camera or taking a picture of something else. That's the way that our family remembers what I look like when we go places, is I'm the guy snapping all of the photographs. I, I'll take a picture of, of anything. It doesn't matter if it's small or, or big or, you know, I love taking landscape shots. And, and I have to be honest, digital photography has only made the addiction worse. Because why take one picture when you can take a hundred? You know, you just rattle them off and then you go scroll back through them and uh, you find the best ones. Although if you're like me and you suffer from the photography addiction, uh, all of those hundreds of pictures, they clutter up your hard drive because you just can't part with, with those photos. And it, it's really hard to press delete. I, I'll never get that image back again. I'm sure I'm probably the only one like that in the room. Um, you remember, you remember uh, just in my lifetime, camera has gone through kind of an evolutionary process. Uh, I remember grandparents... I think grandparents, who had the Polaroid cameras. Do you remember those? That, that uh, for you young folk here, a Polaroid camera, it actually, you take the picture and it prints out the photo and this little black and white thing, and then, you know, 30 seconds, a minute later or so, that your image just magically appears on, on the photo. It's called a Polaroid. And I remember messing some of those up because I wanted to to make it go faster so I would shake it a little bit. You're not supposed to shake it. You're just supposed to sit there on the counter and, and let it develop before your eyes. To make it go faster, you could shake it a little bit. Sometimes it would distort the color. Well, then there's the, the film cameras where you, you had to load the film into the back of the camera and make sure that, it, that the little holes in the side of the film line up just right with with the little notches on the side, and so when you close that camera case, it would start to advance. And then there's the, the digital camera. And so now, there, there's a camera just about everywhere. Security cameras, there's cameras on your phone, there's cameras on your computers, there's, there's cameras all over the place. So it's really easy to take pictures nowadays. And, you know, I've told you about Snapchat before, Snapchat is a, a way to picture text, so, you know, I could pull out my phone and, you know, take a, you know, snapshot like this, and then I could send it to Lisa and Kaylin, who are over in Spokane running a race in the rain right now, 
And, and they could see my image, and I could say, you know, I could type on that and say, hey, I'm preaching. And they could send me a Snapchat back that says, hey, we're running. And we're soaked. I hope it's not raining for them. But there's websites now, you know, like Instagram, and there's, you know, programs on your computer to sort all of these digital images. There's, we are just inundated with photographs. It doesn't help me, a person who suffers from a photography addiction. It's really easy to, to snap pictures left and right. And do you like, you like photographs? Memories? Going back through the picture books? Scrolling back through your archive? I looked on my phone this morning. I think I have 1,700 pictures stored on my phone from the last couple of years. Something that you can carry with you. The old-fashioned way of doing that, remember, you know, uh, women and men would fold up these little, uh, you know, accordion-like plastic things that you could stick wallet pictures in, and it would fold up and make your wallet like that thick and give people back problems and so forth. And, or ladies, they shove their, the pictures in their purse so that, hey, what, if you, want, you want to see my grandkids? I got, I got pictures of my grandkids. See? Or guys who would, you know, some guys who uh, I have to give them a hard time, instead of carrying around pictures of their family, they carry around pictures of their first car. You know, now we know what they love, right? But we carry these pictures around, and it's, it's fun to, to look back through the pages of our photograph books and, and recall the memories. I mean, right now we're working on, you know, collecting photographs to display for Nicole's graduation, and it it just takes you down memory lane when you can look at the pictures and remember. Oh, wasn't she cute? Oh, look at that one. I looked like that. Are you kidding me? There's a couple pictures of me. My glasses are like this big. You know, like those bug eye ones from the 80s? It was the style then. I actually found the glasses the other day. Put them on. I, didn't, I don't remember wearing windshields like that. It was crazy. So today we're launching this new series. It's called Snapshots, Snapshots of the Kingdom. Over the next eight weeks, we're going to look at eight parables that, that Jesus told, that Jesus taught his disciples in the crowds. And much of, much of the teaching of Jesus comes to us through these stories that we call parables. In fact, I think it's one-third of the recorded words of Jesus in our Gospels come through parables. Jesus used this method all the time. The, the Hebrew word that tells us about these kind of uh, illustrative stories, uh, fables, allegories, riddles, proverbs, that, anything that kind of falls into that category like parable, uh, the Hebrew word for that is mashal. The Greek word for that is, uh, I know this will come as a shock, it's parabole. Does it sound familiar? It's a our English word is a direct transliteration of the Greek word. And, and a parabole, is, is, it simply means, it's two words that are put together, and, and what it means is you put something alongside of something else. And so in this case, Jesus would put a story alongside another more complex truth that he's trying to teach, so that, that people could understand what the, the complexities of, of his teaching in, in a more simplified fashion. 
Jesus would relate what he is teaching to real life. He would use these images and, and pictures. Uh, um, you know, we, talk, we, we know that Jesus talked about people being salt and light. Two images. We, we understand what salt is. We understand what light is. Then, then we know that, that Jesus talked about the wise and the, the foolish builders, right? The wise man built his house on the sand. The foolish... No, I've got that wrong. The wise guy, his house is disappearing. The wise man built his house on the rock, right? It's solid, stable. He knew where to build so that his house wouldn't wash away. And the foolish man built his house on the sand, and so when the waves came crashing in uh, and it would rain, it would just kind of slide away. These word pictures, these images that Jesus used, he, he would set them alongside the, these spiritual realities, these, these truths that he was trying to teach, and, and people would understand the metaphor and help them think on their own. Um, they, these are stories that help us view the world differently. These are stories that are used to help us get a glimpse and a picture of, of God. It's, it's, a way of, it's a way for Jesus to reach our hearts through our imaginations. We can imagine these pictures, and we can see ourselves in this image and in this story, and it gets us thinking about these other things. Where, where do I fit into this story? How does, how does this teaching affect me where I live? What, what would it mean for my life? What picture of God am I to get from, from this particular story? See, he gave us all of these pictures, and they're snapshots of what the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, looks like. So you may be wondering, why do we have, why do we have all of these empty frames as our decorations. If we're talking about images, why don't, why don't these frames, why, why aren't there pictures in them? And, and I want to say that there, this is very intentional. Jesus gave us the stories of what the kingdom was like, and he used images that were relevant to the context of the people that he ministered to face to face. And, and I think that they carry all the way through today. Certainly, we can look at the context and, and we can understand what Jesus was trying to say. But the reality is, is that the kingdom of God is ever inbreaking into our midst. The kingdom is always new. Once we go out and serve somebody, we can take a picture of that and we can remember that time when, when we painted the house for somebody or trim their yard, or help them out with a little gas money, or bought a sack of groceries. But the kingdom doesn't end there, does it? Sometimes we Christian folk carry around snapshots of kingdom activity that are decades old. You remember that time that we went down to the altar back in 1983? You remember that time I went on that work and witness trip, you know, back in 1992? When I, when I shared my story with somebody who was struggling at work six months ago, that's fantastic. Amen. I'll clap for that. And it's good to talk about that and remember that and think about how experiences like that change 
our lives, help transform us, how those things brought us closer to God and brought God closer to people. That's fantastic. But you know what? It's in the rearview mirror now. The kingdom is ever in breaking. Jesus continues to come to us. And so the frames are empty because, you know what? The pictures haven't been taken yet. And as we look at these eight parables, what I want to do is, is challenge you to think about what in my life am I, could I take a snapshot right now that would fill one of these frames for a moment in time? See, God continues to work among us, to call us to Him. And it's, it's our responsibility to respond. See, our, our passage today in Matthew 13, it, is, uh, it begins the third major teaching block in the Gospel of Matthew. And leading up to today's text in, in chapter 11, um, Matthew tells us that doubts started to creep in amongst the people, that there was a little bit of apathy that set in. Jesus had you know, he had launched his ministry, and, and he taught for a long time in, in the synagogues and in the public places, and people would respond to his message, and, and they would gather around him and, and experience uh, and, and witness the healings. But John, John the Baptist, forerunner of Jesus, sent some of his disciples to say, are, are, you the, are you the one that we're looking for? Are you the one who is to come? Are you the Messiah? Because what you're doing isn't what we're expecting. Doubt, apathy started to creep in there in chapter 11. And then uh, you flip over to, to chapter 12, you start to see that there's friction that's beginning between Jesus and the Pharisees between Jesus and the religious leaders. They're, they're looking in at his ministry and like, you're not following our rules. You're not, you're not doing it how you're supposed to do it. So as we get to today's text, one thing you'll notice is that Jesus isn't teaching in the synagogue anymore. Jesus has now moved his ministry outside the walls of the church structure of the day. And, and now he finds a place down on the beach. And, and we'll read here in just a second that, that the crowds gathered around Jesus so much that, that he, couldn't, he couldn't teach them. In, in, just physically speaking, people couldn't, there, there were so many people around him that they couldn't hear what he had to say. So Jesus used the geography of, of the time to, to his advantage. He got in a boat sat down in a boat, and they pushed out from shore. And, and the way that the, the landscape right down there at the shore on the Sea of Galilee near Capernaum is, there's, there's lots of these little inlets that make this natural amphitheater all around. So there's like a, the beach and then a, a kind of a cliff that goes up. And so as Jesus sat in the boat and they pushed out, if you've ever spent any time at a lake in the evening when things start to quiet down, you can hear voices from across the lake because they just carry so well over water? Well, Jesus used, Jesus used this to his advantage. And so he could be in the boat and there could be hundreds of people gathered on shore and he could just talk in a fairly normal, uh, everyday voice and, and his voice would carry to them and, and he could teach them. But Jesus, he's not teaching in the synagogue anymore because 
It's already started. They're beginning to close them out. It's like Jesus was kicked out of church. Would you stand as we read this morning? We're in the 13th chapter of Matthew. It goes like this. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it, while the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil, it sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. I want you to pause for a second. We have a significant change in our text between verse 9 and verse 10. What we just read is Jesus' sermon. At the end of that, there's a period, and it's kind of like Jesus said, Amen, blessings on you, have a nice day, church is dismissed. You won't be so lucky. We're going to continue on. But Jesus now, his sermon is done. He's done teaching the people. His sermon from the boat, done. Then the disciples came to him. Shift in scenery here. And they asked him, Why do you speak to the people in parables? Jesus replied, Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Listen to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, 
But the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. It's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. Now, I recognize that we do not live in an agrarian culture like Jesus' day. Certainly, there's, there's farming all, all over the place, but our farming is a little more scientific these days. And so, the imagery that Jesus uses of this guy planting seed, it doesn't, you know, it just doesn't strike us as something that we would see every day. And so I was, I was thinking this week, what would, what would a modern-day version of a story like this sound like? And so I imagined that there was this um, company that came into existence. And, and this company had produced a product that would change your life. Life-changing. You ever heard of a product like that? Yes. They're all over the place, Right? little pop-up ads here and there telling you that you could win a million dollars or you could, you know, lose a bunch of weight without changing your diet plan or your eating habits or your exercise. This company had produced a life-changing product, and their marketing strategy was completely through Facebook. So they wanted to get the word out on this new product so that everybody could get one of these things. They went to Facebook. They sent out this broadcast message. Some people miss the message completely because they just refuse to get a Facebook page. And they don't know that there's a message that's out there about a product that could change their life because they just refuse to participate in the system. Well, then there's other people who when they log into Facebook, they, you know, they, they they see this message pop up on their news feed, and it gets their attention, and they get so excited about it, that they're going to, all they need to do is click on this and, and send a reply message, but before they can, before they can send a reply, well, their, their phone buzzed, and they got a tweet from somebody or a Snapchat, and, and they moved on to something else, and they forgot to go back and hit reply to take advantage of the offer. Well, then there's, there's some other people who, you know, they, they logged into their Facebook page and, and they, they, saw the, they saw the message and there was a cute little picture attached with it and they're like, oh, isn't that sweet? I really should do something about that. Good intentions, but they just kept scrolling. I'll, I'll, I'll get back to it. I'll, I'll get around to it. And they never go back because they forget cares of the world you know, other things get their attention. But then some people got this Facebook message, and they're like, wow, that, that really would change my life. I, I, need to, I need to participate in this. All I have to do is hit reply. Well, I'm going to hit reply, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it right now, and this thing is going to change my life. And you know what? I need to share this with other people. 
So I'm going to click this little share link so that other people can see what's going on in, on, on my wall here, and, and they too could be invited to participate and get this product that will change their life. See, Jesus used images like this, things that were modern day, things that were relevant to illustrate the point that he was trying to teach. See, these, these, um, these parables are kind of like self-discovery examinations. Have you ever taken one of those? Have you ever done a personality test? That fits into that personality test. There, there's a whole bunch of tests going around the internet right now. Tests that you can you know, answer like 10 questions, and it'll tell you what Disney character you're most like, or what kind of flower you're most like, or, or where should you actually live, what city should you live in. Those self-examination kinds of tests that you can learn something about yourself. Learn something about yourself. These parables sometimes act in this function. Jesus tells the story, and you can kind of evaluate. Where, where do I fit into this particular story? And in this case, Jesus talks about four different kinds of, of soil. But before we get to, before we talk about the four different kinds of soil, I, I just, I, I want to address the middle section of our text. Verses 10 through 17, I think. It's kind of a, a mysterious section. We, we don't know quite what we should do with these words of Jesus. Uh, the, the part where Jesus says, some will hear, some won't hear. The message is for some, but not for others. You know that section that we read? Um, that, that section, those, those verses bother a lot of people. In fact, the lectionary of the church leaves out those verses. When, when, the, when the lectionary puts in this parable, it says, do verses 1 through 9 and 18 through 23. Let's cut out that chunk of that section, because that just sounds a little weird. We don't, want, we don't want a Jesus to sound like his message is only for some and, and not for others intentionally. In fact, many scholars, well, they say, to answer the questions, they say, well, you know, I don't, we don't think those are actually authentic words of Jesus. We think those are words that maybe the gospel writers put in to try and explain things to their congregations when, when they wrote the text. But I believe this is the Word of God, and these verses are in our Bible, and so we might as well talk about them, right? Um, it seems like Jesus was trying to be confusing. When I first read this, uh, and so what I want to know is, is Jesus trying to be confusing? Is this a, an accurate interpretation or understanding of, of this particular passage? See, we don't want Jesus to keep people out. When we get a picture in the rest of Scripture of the Jesus who invites everybody to him. And in this passage... He says, whoever has will be given more and, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. It makes it sound like Jesus is intentionally keeping out. And so the question is, 
do humans have a choice or not? Are we free to choose to believe in God? And are we free to choose not to believe in God? Or has God already got it all figured out and he's already picked people who are going to be saved and he's already picked people who are going to be lost? The argument or the debate in Christian circles, some Christians believe that God has already predetermined who's going to go to heaven and who's going to go to hell. And you'll hear it, you'll hear it couched in terminology called predestination. Do you believe in predestination or not? Do you believe God has everything all figured out, or do you believe that humans have a choice? That's the debate that we're touching on here this morning in, in this text. And so, we need to make a few comments about this question. Does God already have it figured out? Does He already know who's going to be saved? Does He already... You know, when, when I was born, did, did my birth certificate come out in heaven that said, he's going to be saved? And the next one out, they're going to be lost. Or do we have a choice? Do we have the freedom to accept or reject the Word of God? So many people who believe in the this idea that God has predetermined everything will point to a text like this and say, see, Jesus was even talking about that. And I'm going to tell you, I don't think that that's an accurate reading of the words that we have in front of us. I mean, first of all, we've just read a parable that Jesus was teaching. And he gave us a picture of this sower who threw the seed everywhere. The sower didn't go around and carefully plant the seed in the soil that he knew it would take root and, and grow plants that would, that would produce a harvest in abundance. Jesus has just said that the sower, who's the image of God, it's, it's the image of Jesus who's preaching the word, that God will preach this message, will plant his seeds everywhere. So why would he on one hand say, the seed is for everybody, this message is for everybody. And then on, on the other hand, kind of take that away and say, well, time out. Not, not really. See, I don't think it's accurate to say that God has predetermined who's going to be saved and who's going to be lost. So Jesus, in this passage, he quotes some verses from Isaiah. Or in Isaiah chapter 6, when, when Isaiah was in the temple, and God called him into the preaching ministry, and, and Isaiah said, here I am, Lord, use me. God gave him a message to send out. And Jesus quotes part of this in, in our passage this morning, and, and what Jesus is doing is he, he, he's using words of Isaiah, and Isaiah was painting a picture of reality. He's not talking about a situation or an outcome that God desires, He's talking about how people had already decided, you know what, we don't need this God. I can run my life on my own. So Jesus is quoting these words of Isaiah who had said, you know what, these people had made this choice and, and they've turned away and, and they're blind. It's in front of them, but they don't see. It's being preached to them, but they don't hear. They don't respond because they're closed off. And the words... And the things that they see just kind of bounce off them because, you know what, they've already figured out, hey, I can do it better on my own. I don't, I don't need God's wisdom or direction in my life. So Jesus is, is pointing back at that. You see, quite frankly, 
There's some people who just have no interest in spiritual matters. There's people in our world, maybe some here in our midst, that just think that we have it all figured out, and we don't, we don't need somebody else to tell us what to do. And, and when, when our minds get to that place, we're closed for business, hardened. See, Jesus is saying, these kinds of people, they're not going to understand because they don't want to hear. They're not going to perceive the message because they're closed off to spiritual matters. But there's grace and there's hope in this picture of the sower. Because Jesus said the seed was planted everywhere. I think there's hope in the heart of God that we will respond that the seeds that are sown will, will take root somehow, in some way, in some shape, in some form, and plants will grow up that will bear fruit for the kingdom. Have, have you ever driven by a parking lot? Completely asphalt, but you know that in any concrete or asphalt parking lot, there's cracks every so often. I mean, you look at, as you're going out to our back lot after church, see if there's plants that are growing up in the crack. See, even in the hardest, most compact, dense surface, God scatters that seed in hopes that just maybe it'll land on one of those cracks and the roots will go down and that soil will start to be loosened. God can do that work. God holds out hope for that. I hope they'll decide to turn to me, to recognize the grace that I've put out there to get the image, to get the snapshot of the kingdom that's most evident in that frame right up there on the cross. That's what God wants. Jesus isn't saying, well, God's already predetermined everything and we're just here to be robots and, and, and fulfill some you know, cosmic divine plot. We're not actors on a stage, fulfilling a role that's predetermined. We have that freedom to choose. God's given us the capacity to choose Him or to reject Him. We have the freedom to love. We have the freedom to hate. C.S. Lewis, he talks about this. He said, there's only two kinds of people in the end. He, he says... Uh, in the end, there will be those who say to God, Thy will be done. And there are also those to whom God will say, Thy will be done. Friends, we have a choice. We have a choice. And Jesus puts the choice in front of us in this parable story. We call it the parable of the sower. I would suggest that it's more of a parable about hearers, how you, how you hear, how you receive. It's a parable about receptivity. It's a parable, really a parable about parables. When, when Jesus teaches the people, he's telling them, I know that there's multiple ways to hear. I recognize that when, when I speak the words, they'll land on different people. They'll land on different 
situations. Everybody will hear slightly different, and he identifies four ways. Well, well what is he sowing? He's sowing seeds, and so we, we, we need to take a moment and just talk about, about the seed. What, what is that seed? Because we know that the, the sower was a picture of, of a generous God who will fling that seed anywhere. He doesn't carefully plant it. He just offers it out. Well, what is that seed? What's well, the message of the good news of the kingdom of heaven? Well, that's good. What, what, is, what, is that, what does that mean? It's a message that will change your life. It's a, the seed has the power to get inside you and, and transform you. Well, that's all well and good. What, what is it? What is the message? See, it's a message that, that said there is a God who created everything. There is a God that's out there who created humans in his image. It's an image, it's a message of a, of a God who, who has a plan and a path for us to follow that will lead us to him. It's a message that, that tells us that God loves us so much that he decided to reconcile the relationship between him and us, that he would come and live among us in the person of Jesus Christ, that he, he would choose to come and leave heaven and, and come and walk with us. Jesus came to show us the way. He came to show us the truth. He came to show us the life. This is the message that's wrapped up in the seed. But we humans, we chose to reject him. We ended up crucifying him and, and killing him. He suffered and he died to take the punishment for, for our sins. He, he died that, that we might be redeemed. That's how far God will go to be in relationship with us. He would die for you. But, but Jesus, dead, buried, God vindicated him and raised him to new life. And you have the opportunity to participate in this new life. Jesus conquered death. Amen? Amen? See, the message tells us that evil and suffering and death and hate will not have the final word. God's love will have the final word. That's the message that's in the seed that's being scattered. Jesus understood there'd be mixed reception to that. So some of the seed, it fell on, it fell on the hard path, right? And the birds came and took it away. It's in verse 4, and, and the interpretation of it is over in verse 19. Some of the seed fell on, on the road, and, and the fields in Palestine weren't really like our fields. They were much smaller plots, and they would come up against each other. And somehow they identified whose was whose, and, and the, the places in between the fields would be where the people walk little paths, little roads. And so over time, that dirt between the fields would get compacted because people would just traffic it, pack it down, compact it. So the, the image you could have is if you've ever lived any place where there's heavy clay, nothing can penetrate that. It's hard to dig, but you know when you drop something on it, it just stays right there on the surface. Nothing grows in it. It's hard to plant. There's these paths between the fields, and some of the seed fell on these walking paths and could not penetrate the soil. And birds came along and ate up the seed. 
And of course, the image here is that, that this ground represents the people who have closed their mind to God. They're, they're stubborn. They're, they're calloused. It, it could be a refusal to repent of, of known sin in their life. When, see, when, when, you're, when humans, when you, when I are confronted with a truth that suggests a pattern of behavior in our lives is sinful and harmful to us, we can either respond and repent and turn around and go the other direction, or we start to become hardened and calloused because we think we know better. And so blatant sin, known sin in your life can cause a barrier between you and God. It can start to close you off, and the longer that you leave that sin unaddressed, it's, it's like the dirt between the fields as people walk over it back and forth to water their crops, to till their soil, to harvest their plants, to, to take the weeds out. The more they traffic that trail, the harder that soil becomes. If you let sin go unchecked and unchallenged and you don't get rid of it in your life, you're going to end up like the hard path, closed off, calloused, stubborn. See, sometimes our pride gets in the way. Some of us are the hard path. We're beaten down and we're closed off. And any preaching that happens, any words of Scripture just stay on the surface. So preaching is really for the birds. Second, seed falls on a rocky place. Verse 5 and verse 20. Some fell on the, the rocky soil. And there's many limestone hills and, and a lot of the, the, the bedrock foundation near the Sea of Galilee is volcanic rock. But, but the, I think the image that, that Matthew is trying to use is, is the, the soil that would be on top of these like limestone shelves. And so the soil would end up being just really shallow, and then there would be like bedrock underneath. And so with shallow soil and a rock underneath and the sun beating down on it, the seeds would germinate really quickly because the soil would be warm. But once the, rain, once the rainy season went away, and this, all that happened was the sun beat down and the wind swept over it, the, 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 these plants wouldn't have any kind of a taproot. There would be no way for them to get down any further than just a couple inches to get to, to nourishing, moist soil. And so those plants would, would quickly die off. They would, they would germinate really quickly and then just fade and, and wither away. And so people in, in this category that Jesus is talking about, they're, they're, they're bandwagon jumpers. You know, anything new that comes about, hey, I'm in for that. These people love revival services. They love the call to the altar. When there's something new that they perceive, I want to be part of that. I really feel the Holy Spirit's presence, and, and they're very emotional and, and respond to that emotional plea, and they respond, and then they leave, and they get back to reality, and it's like the sun beating down on them and the wind sweeping over them. The roots aren't that deep. And I got to tell you, friends, there's a lot of Christians who are responsible for promoting this kind of behavior. There's a lot of Christians who believe in an evangelistic style like a gospel bomb. You know what, I'm just going to drop a bunch of the four spiritual law tracks to a whole bunch of people and we're going to have a great revival service and we're going to get a whole lot of people to raise their hand and come forward and, and pray a simple little prayer and then we're going to leave them there. 
and not connect them to a body of Christ. That's, that's a sin, I think. If we aren't connecting people who make a commitment so that their taproots can go down deep, we have a responsibility for that. We can't call for an emotional plea and then not connect people to something that will help grow and nurture those plants. I'm not knocking the four spiritual laws. I think it's a great tool. I've used them quite frequently. It tells our story well. But left alone, and only that, we're doing a disservice to some people who will respond emotionally but never have a connection. See, these, some of us are on the rocky ground. We, we hear and we fall in love instantly. I believe, we say. But the trouble enters our lives and difficult decisions come up. Tough choices have to be made. And we just fall away because we haven't moved beyond the infancy. We haven't moved beyond the elementary teachings. We want it simple. And when it's difficult, we struggle and we wither and we die. Then there's seed that fell on the thorns. Verse 7 and verse 22. Some, some seed fell in the weeds. And there's nothing wrong with the soil at this point. The soil is good. But there's other things laced in the soil. You know that if you're taking care of your lawn, you can't just whack the dandelions off with the lawnmower. You've got to get out there and you've got to root them out. You can't just mow over the crabgrass and expect for it to disappear. You get, no, you've got to go and you've got to dig down with a knife and you've got to cut that thing out. You've got to root the weed out. Otherwise, it'll come back even stronger. See, people in this category, they're, they're distracted. There, there's other things going on in their life. Things of the world. Money, wealth, power. Schedules. I'm too busy to pray. I'm too busy to read. I'm too busy to go to worship every week because I got all these other things going on and, and sometimes the world convinces us that that church, nurturing our faith, is, is of lower priority than these other pursuits. And so those things grow up and grow around us and choke us out. Some of us, some of us are in the weeds. Uh, there's lots of long-term church-going folk who just assume that everything's good that fall into this category. I'm saved, I know it. I know I'm good with God, so I'm going to go pursue all these other things because I'm taken care of. The weeds grow up around us and they choke us off because our focus gets distracted. Then there's the good soil. Plants that, that take root and they grow deep roots and, and strong plants and, 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 and some of them produce Harvests of 160 and, and 30 times. These are good, strong, healthy plants. A harvest. It's sharing. It's, it's producing a harvest that, that we can sow the seeds, the gospel message to other people. That, that we produce fruit that can feed other people. We can, we can bring other plants along and, and provide nutrients that our fruit is beautiful. It glorifies God when we produce 
a harvest. See, the truth of the matter is, we're all of these kinds of soil at one point in our life. The question is, which kind of soil are you right now? Sometimes we're closed. Sometimes we wonder what God is up to. We begin to doubt. We're hardened. Because we don't know that God is there and we question Him. Sometimes we're emotional. We have these spiritual highs and we try to jump from one spiritual high to the next and that time in between is just rough and we fall away. Then there's times where we're just distracted by getting through life. The concerns of the day, getting the kids to that, making sure we have enough to pay the electric bill, making sure there's food on the table and the lawn is mowed. There's just stuff that distracts our attention, takes us away. Then there's times of health and growth and nurture and our plants are beautiful and strong and healthy and, and the, the crop is abundant. And sometimes, sometimes there's weeks where I find myself in all four different categories. Maybe it's a little spiritual ADD, I, I don't know, but there's just stuff that comes up, I, I know that. But what Jesus is saying is, where do you find yourself in the soil. And the good thing is, none of us are locked into any one kind of soil. God is out there. God is, is working the soil. This is the good news, is that the, that the seed of the kingdom of God is progressively working its way to the core of your being. That God is confidently coming to us and into us, layer by layer, breaking up the soil and removing a rock here and a rock there, rooting out the stubbornness and pride weeds. See, we don't have to be perfect, exceptional Christians. Amen? God is at work in our lives, loosening the soil so our plants can grow healthy and strong. There, Jesus leaves room for a maturing process, and that's called sanctification. See, holy, holy is what we become when we let the kingdom of God be the reality in our life. People of God said, amen.